A reading from Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Jen. Uh, You'll have a seat. I'm going to pray for us. Father God, we we come to your word this morning um, uh, because we come to you. What a, what a gift that you don't, uh, you don't give any confusion about your connection between the Word of God and you. Um, you, you literally say that, that you, Jesus, are the Word of God, that you are the Word incarnate. And uh, as we engage with the Word written down, uh, would we not forget the Word incarnate? Would we not forget the Word as the living Jesus? Um, pray that we would submit ourselves to the teaching of your Word um, to the truth of your word, and that um, you would spare us from anything that would get in the way, whether it be my words that, uh, that, that are not what you would have uh, our people hear, um, or if it would be uh, the way that our hearts want to run away. Um, just keep us, keep us safe, protected, and close to you as we talk about um, things like sin and our need for forgiveness. Um, we put our eyes on you, Jesus, in your name, amen. All right. Hello, everyone. It's good to be here. I want to ask you, as we look at our passage in this incredible story that Jen just read, um, when was the last time that you were surprised? Maybe it was this morning. Maybe you woke up. Um, I know I was walking through my house a couple weeks ago, and it was dark, and it was quiet. I just put a kid to bed, and I kicked a kitchen stool probably kicked it halfway across the house, and it wasn't on purpose. Everyone always says that. People have been like, well, wow, were you angry? I'm like, no, I didn't kick it on purpose. I ran into a kitchen stool and kicked it halfway across the house, and I turned the light on after hopping, you know, to the bathroom, and my toe is just like, like, you know how your pinky finger can do this? Well, your pinky toe is not supposed to do that, just so you know. If you ever see your pinky toe doing one of these, that's called dislocated. So I found myself at the ER uh, with a nurse who popped it back into place right there in the waiting room. So when was the last time that you were surprised? Because <laughs> I was surprised by that. Um, maybe it was a movie. You know, uh, <laughs> I, I was just preaching at Granny White, and I asked, you know, how many of you guys have seen Parasite? 
right, which is the movie that won Best Picture at the Oscars, by the way, and there was one hand, so maybe that's not a good illustration. So maybe it wasn't Parasite that you saw, but when was the last time you saw a movie that surprised you? When was the last time you read a book that had something in it that surprised you? What is it, and this is kind of the question, what, what is it that makes us surprised? There is a, uh, there's a woman who wrote a book that I've been looking at the last couple weeks. Um, her name is Vera Tobin. She is a professor of cognitive linguistics. That was a surprise to me. Didn't know that that, that was a thing and definitely don't know what that is. But that's what she is. Uh, but she wrote a book called The Element of Surprise. And it's really interesting, you know, she approaches this idea of surprise as an author, but also as a cognitive linguist, right? As a, as a you know, someone who understands the brain, understands brain science. Um, there are certain things and elements in our physical world uh, and in the things we read that, that cause surprise. And it oftentimes has a lot to do with when we're wrong, right? Like when, when we think something's going to happen and something different happens. Well, what I, what I think this story this morning whether it's familiar, whether it's new, and, and, and what I think all the stories of when people meet Jesus, because that's the series we're in, is this, is this you know, gospel of, of, full of stories of people meeting Jesus. When, when people meet Jesus, he always meets them where they're at, but he, he never leaves them there, right? He always takes them someplace different. He surprises them in some way. And there's certainly multiple different surprises that happen in this story. But, but inherent to meeting Jesus is the surprise of where you're at and where he wants to take you. Because you can't help, gosh, this is a glorious truth, you can't help but meet Jesus this morning where you're at. Like, you don't have a choice. Like, whatever you came with, whatever you're dealing with, whatever's going on, whether good or bad, you're going to meet Jesus in that place. Or maybe I should say he's going to meet you in that place. But he's going to take you somewhere. Because that's what he does. Right? He surprises us by taking us someplace. And the thing about surprise is it's not just something we read about. It's not just something that we watch. It's not something that happens kind of from the outside. We live it, right? Like when, when the director who you know, created the movie Parasite, when he received his award, he was shocked, right? He was surprised. He wrote a story about surprise, but then he himself was surprised by winning the award. So surprise isn't just something that we read about or watch. Surprise is something we live. And I think this man, this paralytic, um, this man with a physical disability in our story, I think he was surprised as well when he met Jesus. And so my question this morning is, what was it that was surprising in this story? What, what is the surprising thing that happens? Because there's multiple things that are surprising. But what was the surprise for this man when he meets Jesus and goes where Jesus is taking him? So let's, let's kind of go back to the story for a second. Um, where did my, I guess I'll just use the good old Bible. Um, so we're in, you know, Luke 5, and in verse 17 and, you know, through 26, we kind of get a lot of different things in the story that are, that are potentially surprising. You know, Jesus is, um, he's like really famous right now, right? He's, um, he's very well known. He has Pretty much anyone who's who, you know, any of the important people in the entire nation of Israel coming to hear him speak every single time he stands up to speak. So he's in a house. It says, um, you know, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, in other words, the who's who of the religious people in that day, were all there to listen to him. They, they traveled from all over Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And it says, the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So he's doing surprising and, and spectacular things. 
But then as if, as if even that had grown old, something else happens, right? It's so, it's so crowded in the place that a man who was being brought by his friends to be healed couldn't get to Jesus. He couldn't make it. And so what do they do? Well, they, they take him outside, and in this day and age, to give you a little context, a lot of the homes, especially the large homes where gatherings would happen, would have an open courtyard in the middle. And there'd be kind of an open courtyard, but with a sort of an enclosed or overhang roof where people would be gathering. So Jesus might have been in the very center, but then all these people would have been kind of off a little bit underneath this, this kind of covering in the, in the courtyard. And so the the men, the friends of this paralytic, take him to the roof and they, they walk him over to where Jesus is and they start to peel back or tear apart or rip into the roof and they make a hole and they lower Jesus down. Probably something new, right? Probably something surprising that most of the people hadn't seen. And they're probably going, wow, look at that. Like, that's amazing. Like, this, this man, like, look at his friends. Man, he must have really good friends. They're, they're bringing him to literally the foot of Jesus when no one can get that close. But then something else happens, and we realize that what we thought was the surprise in the story is actually not the surprise in the story. Because as this man, who has a very clear, visible problem, a very clear, visible uh, thing that he wants fixed, that's not what Jesus touches at first. That Jesus is actually more interested in surprising this man and surprising all the people watching with what the real problem is and what really needs to be healed rather than the thing that the man came for, as important as it is, and as much as he does deal with it. There's something else going on. And so we see that here in verse 20. You know, they lower him right in front of Jesus and everyone's going, Woo, it's going to happen. He's going to be healed. Like we've seen this before. It's so great. He's going to jump up and he's going to walk away. And Jesus doesn't say a thing about his physical ailment. What Jesus says to him is the most important words in this passage. He says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Friend, your sins are forgiven. So I want to spend a little bit of time talking about those two things. Sin, what it is that we need forgiveness from, and then the forgiveness. Sin and forgiveness. So there's something surprising that Jesus is trying to teach, like we've said. There's something, there's something he wants to do. He wants to teach it, but he also wants to do it. And he knows it's going to be a surprise to us. And so what is it about sin and what is it about forgiveness that we need to hear, that this man needed to hear, that we need to be shocked by, that we need to be surprised by for Jesus to take us where he wants to take us? Well, starting with sin, I would say today, whether you're Christian or not, whether you've been in the church or not, um, we all have a lot of problem with sin. And, you know, we'd say, well, yeah, I mean, of, of course we do. You know, it's, 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 a, it's not a good thing, right? But, I mean, we, we have problem even with the concept of sin is maybe what I'm trying to say. And, and even in this day and age, it seems like sin is something that more and more gets kind of let go from Christian faith. It's sort of one of those things that feels like a hang-on that you kind of want to, like, peel away to get to maybe something that's a little bit, I don't know, more easily digestible more palatable. Um, I uh, have a friend um, named Sherry. Um, we get into interesting conversations. She uh, is, you know, very, you know, openly atheist and agnostic and, you know, lots of other things depending on the day. And um, she was telling me about um, some things going on in her life and just some really hard stuff. And it was just kind of like 
marveling, you know, not in a positive way, but just sort of like, you know, expressing the things that have happened to her in her life. And I made a comment, you know, something about, and I don't even remember what I said, but I used the word sin. And she immediately reacted to that. She, she immediately reacted, and what she said was this. She said, oh, that, that's just a concept that was created to keep people down. Like, don't feed that to me. I know what that's about. Like, that sin thing, that's this, 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 this concept, this religious, this Christian concept. And what it's been used to do is, is keep people down. And that really struck me. That maybe she voiced, certainly for maybe people that have not grown up in the church, or, or maybe people especially that have grown up in the church, but are, that are not following the Jesus of the Bible, that sin has kind of become this concept that we have put in a box, and we've kind of said, what sin is, is sin is an, is an oppressive thing. Not in and of itself, but it's been used to oppress. So let me, let me try to paint it like this. So um, if I had a whiteboard, I would do it. But kind of pretend we look at all of life on a big board. And there's sort of two categories. There's a line down the middle, and we have all of our sins on one side. Or we would have negative behaviors, or things we're not supposed to do, like breaking the rules stuff, Right? we got sin on one side, and it's kind of all kinds of different things scattering the board. And then on the other side, we've got our good things. All right, we've got the good things we're supposed to do. We've got the things that the Bible teaches us we're supposed to do. We've got the things that you know, our parents have told us we're supposed to do. And our entire life is built up kind of on this idea of there's like the good things and there's the bad things. There's the positive things I'm supposed to pursue and live in, and then there's the negative things I'm supposed to stay away from. And I think what Sherry was getting at when she said that sin is a concept used to keep people down is that when we think of sin as just sort of a set of behaviors that are no-nos, then it actually is really easy to take that and use that as a weapon against people and say things like, well, Christians don't do those things. Or if you love Jesus or if you were a good person, you would not do that. And we take a very shallow understanding of sin and a very shallow understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and we reduce it down to a set of rules, a set of guidelines, kind of like the employee handbook of being a Christian, or sort of the, the rules of the country club, right? Or the, the, the regulations in the neighborhood association. Like these are the things that the in people are supposed to not do. And here are the things that the in people are supposed to do. And so for people like Sherry, or for maybe you, depending on where you grew up and what kind of a Christian system you grew up in, or a family you grew up in, you can kind of see sin as this thing that's been used to put you down, to tell you you're an outsider, to show you that you've not really made it in yet. And I want to say very, very clearly that absolutely sin in Scripture is things. Sins are things that are considered disobedience to God's laws. That there is a way to look at sin where it is not following the law of God. It is not following the will of God. But what I think is surprising about what the story gives us and what is really surprising about sin is that it's actually a lot worse than that. That, that actually the biggest surprise about sin, the biggest surprise about our need for forgiveness is that the problem actually is a lot worse than just a bunch of behaviors that we're not supposed to do but that we keep finding ourselves doing. So I kind of, kind of take this image I painted to you of all these kind of good and bad things, kind of all these like behaviors or thoughts or patterns. I want you to imagine that these are like the fruits on a tree. So if all these things are the fruits on a tree, the truth about sin, potentially the surprising truth about sin, is that they're not just fruits on a tree. 
that they come from a root. That the tree actually has deep roots. The tree is drawing its nutrients that all the things that the tree is using to produce these fruits are coming from roots. And you know what the Bible would say about us and sin is that it's our roots that are the problem. That without Jesus, every single one of us has corrupt roots, has sinful roots. And it's what Scripture calls a sin nature. Kind of another dirty word these days. But go with me. Because we're talking about forgiveness, right? So the first thing that we need to realize, the first thing that we need to be surprised by in this passage is the true nature of sin. That it's actually not just about my behaviors, although it is about that, but that all of those behaviors grow up out of roots. In other words, they grow up out of a heart. That's one way the Bible talks about it, is your heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. When Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, You've heard it said that you're not supposed to murder, but I tell you, if you even have anger in your heart, you've already committed that crime. What Jesus is getting at is the the root of all this stuff, the root is about a heart. It's about a heart that is not aligned toward me. It's about a heart that without Jesus is not a friend with me. It's, It's about a heart that without Jesus is not at peace with Jesus. And we would say that is exactly what happened and and what was exposed in the Garden of Eden. That it wasn't just that Eve ate of the tree. It wasn't that she did a behavior. She didn't just like commit the behavior of eating the, the apple, although she did that. Where that came from was a deeper sense in her heart that maybe I could do a better job of being God than God. And we could go back into that story and look at how the serpent, the way he got her to eat that fruit was to first deceive her that maybe God isn't good. And we're not up in behaviors anymore. Now we're, we're, at, we're in our hearts. What do I actually believe about God? Do I actually believe he's good for me? He's good to me? That he can actually give me what I need, give me what I want? Do I actually believe that he can fulfill the deepest desires of my heart? That's the question. And what the Bible would say is without him, because of Adam and Eve's sin, and because of the way in Romans 5 it talks about how that has like a disease, has traveled through all humanity. Because of that, our hearts are aligned toward God, not as friend, but as enemy. Not as one who is at peace, but one who is at war. That is the nature of sin. That's the surprise. And it's not a pleasant one. So, if we're going to talk about forgiveness, then don't you think it's important that we kind of understand what it is we need to be forgiven from? Because let me propose this to you, that in order to have a rich view of the forgiveness that is offered in Jesus, we have to have an equally rich view of our sin. That maybe those two things are actually connected. That because my view of sin is so shallow, because I tend to think that sin is, again, just these fruits up here, and there's sort of a category of ripe ones and a category of rotten ones, that when my view of sin is shallow, then my view of forgiveness is also going to be shallow. Because how do we typically view forgiveness? Right, I've got young kids, and I know sometimes we overuse, especially pastors with kids, overuse kid analogies, but I think this is too good. 
Okay, because if you think about the way children behave, if you think about the way children are not kind to each other when they hurt each other, and then the way that kind of forgiveness plays out. I think this is a perfect example of the way that, just like sin, you and I typically have a very shallow view of forgiveness. So Everett, my son, comes and he hits Kate upside the head with his uh, new Star Wars lightsaber. All right, very typical, very normal in my house. So there's kind of two ways that we can, as children, and, and we do this as adults, there are two ways that we tend to see forgiveness when something's been committed against us. Either... We treat it like a just let it go kind of, kind of forgiveness, right? And we have like multiple, you know, kind of phrases and idioms that we say like this. We say forgive and forget, right? Something we love to say. Uh, bury the hatchet, we say. Or that's water under the bridge, right? What are, what are all of those different ways of saying it? What do, they, what do they say? They say that forgiveness is really just about letting things go. Just sweep it under the rug, kind of move on, and that'll make it better, <laughs> Maybe there's a component of forgiveness where we do need to have some grace for ourselves, have some grace for others. But is that really just all forgiveness is, is just let it go? Kind of pretend it didn't happen? Well, the other way we can look at forgiveness is we can treat forgiveness like an economic bargain, right? Like, you did this to me, so now you pay me back this. You did X, Y, and Z to me, now I get to do X, Y, and Z to you. Or you pay me back in exactly the same way that you hurt me. And we believe that sin or wrong is actually something that there can just be a complete kind of like reversal. Like what you did to me, now I do to you. And again, there's a place for that, right? Obviously, punishment is an important thing. Not saying we we disregard law and rules and punishments. But is that what Jesus is getting at here when he says, man, your sins are forgiven? That when you, when, you, when, when you really understand the depth of your sin, the, the fact that it's not a fruit issue, it's a root issue, it's a heart issue, when Jesus forgives it, is he just saying, oh, let it go? Or is he saying, yeah, you now, you now give back to me everything you did, you took from me. You pay me back in the exact same way that you committed the wrong. Is, that, is he saying either of one of those two things? And guys, this, <laughs> this right here, if we want to talk about surprise, this isn't just the surprise of the story. What, what we're talking about, what I'm about to say, is, is the surprise of the whole gospel. That the gospel, the, the, the good news that Jesus Christ did something for you that you can never do for yourself, the good, surprising news of that is that in the face of a heart that is not aligned toward him, in the face of us revolting against our creator, he looked at us and he took the step for us and he said, I am going to eat that pain. That what you did to me, I'm going to take that on myself. That the punishment that you deserve, if this was just about justice, the punishment that you deserve is going to be met, but it's going to be on me. J.R.R. Tolkien, right? Phenomenal storyteller. Phenomenal writer of surprise. He says that the gospel is the true fairy tale. Right? It's, it's the only fairy tale that's actually come true. And he calls it a you catastrophe. Okay, we know the word catastrophe, right? Catastrophe, terrible event. But a you catastrophe, the Greek prefix you means good. The good catastrophe of the gospel is that, yeah, things are way worse than you thought they were. That your heart is never going to come to the Lord apart from his grace. And yet he still gives you his grace. That he takes the step toward you. He says, you know what? This is so broken. The only way to heal it is, is for all of you to be punished for eternity. He says, you know what? No. I'm going to take all that. That what was supposed to be for you, the you catastrophe, is that it's for me now. 
And it's why Isaiah 53 paints this picture of the spotless Lamb of God being wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that gave us peace was put on Him. It's the glorious turn in the story. It's the glorious moment when we thought that all hope was lost. That God stepped forward to us to bring us closer to him. That he got the justice and we got the mercy. It's utterly unexpected. It doesn't make sense. But yes, it's glorious good news. In fact, it's such good news, it's so surprising, that how do the Pharisees respond to it? Jesus, in verse 20, says, Friend, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? You hear the irony? They got it exactly right. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who can make this better? Who can fix these broken hearts that are not in friendship with the Lord? Well, only the Lord himself. But you see, what the Pharisees missed is the same thing that we can often miss. That this surprise is literally too good to be true. That what my heart actually wants to do, and guys, this is crazy, that in the face of such beautiful news, in the face of such an amazing fairy tale actually being true for us, that the God of the universe would come to us and say, I'm going to draw you, rebellious child, closer to myself. What we would do with that is say, it can't be true. It's too good to be true. There's got to be something i got to do to add to this. And so then we take our lives and we, we now orient our lives in terms of, well, what it ends up being is it ends up being fear. It ends up being worry. It ends up being anxiety, which, by the way, all those things produce anger. And we now begin to live as if the beautiful, glorious catastrophe, the beautiful, glorious fairy tale that was true is actually not true for us. And I look at my relationship with the Lord and I go back to my tree and I, and I begin to wonder, have I done it? What can I do to give myself the life that I want? What? And I take the Lord out of the picture and I begin, even as someone who has received this forgiveness, it is true for me, it's going to happen. But I begin to now live more like an orphan than I do as a child. And what this story And what the truth of the forgiveness of Jesus leaves us with is the surprise that there's nothing we can do. That there's there's no amount of labor, there's no amount of whether I labor inside my head and I'm always, you know, kind of grinding and thinking and, and worrying and you know, wondering if what have I done? How do people view me? You know, all the things that we do, or if it's out, if it's more external. If I'm, if I'm, you know, hitting, hitting work every day, as if my salvation is going to come from how many hours I spend that day, or how much output I can produce. That we live in all these ways, even as believers, as if this story were not true. And what this reminds us is, yes, the surprise is real, and yes, it's surprising. It's it's as unbelievable as it sounds, but it's true. And I think there's a beautiful little detail in the story that given the, that fact, what we just said, that I can, I can hear this good news and I can say it's too good. It's not true. 
Isn't it so great that the example in our story is a paralyzed man who can't walk on his own? And what did he need but to be picked up and carried to Jesus? And on the one hand, that can remind us of our helplessness and how much I even need Jesus to believe the things he's done for me, to even believe that they're as true and as good as they say they are, that I'm that helpless, but also that I need other people. And so my question for you this morning is, do you believe that you're on a stretcher and you need people to carry you to Jesus? That you need others in your life to pick up that stretcher and to take you to Jesus when you can't do it yourself? And do you, need, do, you, do you believe, will you believe, that you need to be the stretcher carrier for other people as well? That there are people in your life who need to be picked up and carried to Jesus. And that what he is calling in, you into, into this life of mission with him, as someone who has met him, as someone who has heard this good story, that you're called to pick and, and, and carry others to him as well. Don't miss the fact that the last words Jesus gave to this man were get up and walk. That he did meet him in his place of physical need. That he did heal his legs. He didn't forget about that. He didn't say, well, the forgiveness is really just spiritual, so I think you'll be fine. No, he said, your sins are forgiven because that's what you need most, but guess what? I'm also here to heal. I'm also here to heal your legs. Now get up and walk. So as those who have been healed spiritually, as those who have been brought near to the Lord, again, no matter where Jesus is meeting you this morning, no matter where you're at in the amount of unbelievable grief and pain or doubt or sadness or confusion, whatever that is that Jesus looks at you and says, the story, if you will accept me, if you will, if you will open your hands to your Father coming and stepping towards you, this story is a, is a story of comedy for you, not of tragedy. A story of where the turn has happened and you are now safe in the arms of your Father. That you are now secure in your eternal standing with the God of the universe. And would you look for other people who you need to carry to Him and other people who you need to carry you to Him? So get up and walk. There's freedom and forgiveness. Let me pray. Father, um, like every time we meet you, um, we ask that you would deal gently with us, um, but we ask that you would do exactly what you know it is that we need. We remind ourselves, we remind um, each other here that, that you are meeting us exactly where we're at, that you want to take us somewhere. Holy Spirit, um, as I prayed before this, would, would you soften us for that journey? Um, I pray, Lord, that for the people here that are hearing this good news and are saying, I mean, my head hears it, but my heart feels like it's too good to be true. Would you meet them in that place? Would you give them, would you give us, would you give me in the moments when I feel that same way, would you give me people to remind me of what's true, to remind me that the story, yes, it's too good to be true, but it is true people to pick me up and carry me to Jesus. And Lord, would you give us um, the gift of, of confessing our sins so that we can be healed? You say in your word to confess our sins to one another so that we may be healed. Lord, you have healed us, but we need to, we need to feel that healing. We need to experience that healing 
We need it for ourselves to remind us of this good story. So give us opportunities to come to each other, to come to you in confession and repentance so that we can hear you say to us, your sins are forgiven. Now get up and walk. Thank you that you promised to do that for us because you love us, because your heart is oriented toward us in love, and you've pursued us in love. So we follow your heart. Pray this in your son's name. Amen.